Yeah, and to be fair, this is probably the most common concern I hear from people who reach out to me and from our sober uh, women support groups is either they have friends who are big drinkers or a partner who's a big drinker and are either just thinking, oh, this is too far, you don't need to quit, or they don't want them to quit. So it's a pretty common concern. Welcome back to the Energized with Dr. Marisa podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marisa, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones, optimize your metabolic health, and feel energized in your body so that you can age powerfully and wake up feeling amazing in your body for many years to come. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Back in early February of this year, I shared here on the podcast that I decided to not drink alcohol for an entire year and then assess from there. Now, this decision was a long time coming, but I finally made the commitment in January 2023. Now, even in my early to mid-30s, I really started to notice that alcohol was not serving me. Drinking alcohol, even just a couple glasses of red wine at dinner, felt disruptive to my health. I was putting on weight fast, my brain would feel scrambled in the morning, and I looked and felt puffy, especially on my face. Alcohol was actually one of the first things I put aside to help restore my health in my 30s because I just knew I needed a big break from it. Now, fast forward to today, I have abstained from drinking alcohol for more than a year at a time over the past five years, and especially these last three years. I can actually count on my two hands how many times I've had a drink since November 2019 and it's less than double digits. And almost every time I did drink on those very special occasions, I felt the consequences of the alcohol. I felt hazy, low energy, moody, and just overall off. Often the next day, I would say to Alex, man, drinking yesterday just wasn't worth it. And I can't tell you how many women tell me this almost every week, especially women in midlife. They simply cannot tolerate alcohol the way that they used to, Yet, many women are still drinking for a multitude of reasons, including it's fun, it's social, it's a way to connect, and it relaxes the stress away, especially if you are a mom. Now, it's clear that alcohol is at the centerpiece of the mommy needs wine culture, a movement that has practically taken over social media and it permeates throughout the U.S., However, the latest data is clear. There is no safe amount of alcohol that your brain and liver can tolerate. Alcohol is a straight up poison and a neurotoxin and it significantly disrupts our hormones and metabolism. For decades, here's something I know every woman can agree on. Stubborn belly fat can feel like the worst, 
especially when you've tried everything to lose it. Not to mention, belly fat can be dangerous for us too. According to a brand new study, women over 40 who have excessive belly fat are up to 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. And no surprise, hormones are involved in belly fat production, which is actually good news because we can optimize your hormones and metabolism for a flatter stomach. And that's exactly what I'm offering to you as a free gift today. My Belly Slim Down Guide gives you three effective strategies to get rid of belly fat, along with recipes to reduce bloating, balance your blood sugar, and speed up your metabolic furnace to optimize fat burning. So grab the Belly Slim Down Guide with my proven protocols and recommendations and recipes now at drmarisa.com slash slimdown. That's drmarisa.com slash slimdown, and the link will be in the show notes. Public health officials have said one to two drinks per day are good for you, but the narrative on the health risks of moderate drinking have shifted based on the new data. Now, although I realize this is a unpopular topic for some, I want to dive deeper into what happens to our bodies. It's important to note that when it comes to everything biological, we are not tiny men. Alcohol affects women differently and is not in a good way. For one, Women metabolize alcohol less effectively than men. And as a result, women get buzzed and drunk faster than men, even when adjusted for body weight, because we simply have more fat and less water. And there are other variations based on our menstrual cycle and our hormones. I mean, are we surprised that our hormones are messing with how our alcohol hits the system? And alcohol consumption over time can lead to metabolic dysfunction and inflammation. A side effect of this is belly fat and stubborn weight. What also feeds into this metabolic dysfunction is symptoms of estrogen dominance. Alcohol consumption greatly drives symptoms of estrogen dominance in the body by impairing the liver to break estrogen down, right? It basically slows down estrogen metabolism. And if you know a thing or two about estrogen, and I know you do because you listen to this show, the golden rule of estrogen is you got to use it and lose it. And if the liver cannot do its job, we start to see this buildup of estrogen dominance symptoms and that drive things like insulin resistance and weight gain and all kinds of just yucky PMS-driven symptoms that nobody wants to deal with. And probably the most concerning is the rise of alcohol misuse in women. Historically, alcohol misuse has been more common in men than women. However, recent data from the past 10 years show that women are catching up. And furthermore, the alcohol industry specifically targets women in their marketing campaigns and wants to normalize alcohol consumption so that you feel it is a core part of feeling good and feeling connected to others. This whole concept of the wind down is not doing us any favors. Honestly, it is setting us up to lose. And that's why I brought on Celeste Vaughn today to share the dangers of mommy wine culture and why it is hiding an even bigger problem happening in our society. Now, before we jump into this powerful conversation, I want to quickly sing Celeste's praises. Sober advocate Celeste Yvonne is a writer and certified recovery coach with over 20 years experience as a communication professional in corporate America. Her essays on parenting, the mental load of motherhood, and mommy wine culture and sobriety resonates with mothers everywhere. And she's been featured on Washington Post, Good Morning America, Today's Show, and even Refinery29. Over five years sober and a founding host of the Sober Mom Squad, Celeste advocates for mothers who struggle with addiction and mental health. Now, her newest book is not about the wine. Celeste pulls back the veil on what's really plaguing mothers, 
offering tangible tips on how to lighten your mental load and pave a path forward for the 21st century parents. Let's welcome Celeste to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Celeste, Yvonne, how are you doing today? You look radiant. I'm so good. Oh, thank you. So do you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Me too. Well, I want to start off our beautiful conversation, a conversation that I feel like we're already, we already started having already about your journey, about kind of becoming so passionate in educating women about, you know, the, the adverse effects of the wine, not the wine, the wine down (laughs) and how often society is kind of, you know, really marketing alcohol to us as a way to alleviate stress, overwhelm, motherhood, you know, all the things that we're dealing with, hormonal imbalances, which is like so insane to me, and why we need to really shift the conversation and um, and offer women a different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. When I became a mother, I was very caught off guard. Uh, I was not prepared. I did not feel like I knew what I was doing. I did have um, my first child a little later in life. If I was 35, which was apparently considered geriatric at that point. And um, I had already established myself and who I was for quite a while professionally before having that first child. So by the time I was home now with a baby, it felt stifling. It felt scary. I felt lonely. I felt like I was doing absolutely everything wrong. And I had a lot of imposter syndrome that somebody else should be doing this. They'd be better than I was anybody could do this better than me. I I don't know what my child needs. My first child had a lot of colic and the mental gymnastics I experienced during those turbulent first few months when you're not getting any sleep, you don't know what you're doing. I also faced postpartum depression with both my children. It was a lot and it came all down on me all at once. And it was breathtaking and heartbreaking and heart-wrenching and all these things I never expected motherhood to be. Even with my early postpartum depression, um, I remember going to the OB and telling her something's wrong. Like, I don't feel right about this. I don't know if I'm doing something wrong, but I, I don't feel okay. I need help. And she said to me, point blank, she said, if you're having thoughts about harming yourself or your baby, you need to go to the mental institution. Otherwise, give it time and it'll pass. It's just baby blues. And having that response and making me feel so invalidated with all these things that I was feeling, but also telling me that my choice was to either leave my home and go to a mental institution or suck it up told me something very important about the way society views mothers. And it was, don't say your truth, fake it till you make it, and just keep going the right direction or you could lose everything. And I started to turn alcohol at that point to self-medicate. I was seeing the the mommy wine memes. I saw the memes that said, uh, mommy needs wine or my kids are the reason I whine. My kids whine, so I whine. Uh, the most expensive part of parenting is all the alcohol you have to buy. And I fell for it. You know, I kind of got myself neck deep where I started relying on alcohol as a crutch to cope with the challenges of motherhood in a way that I was too afraid to tell people what was really happening and what was really going on. 
And it worked until it didn't. You know, I think anybody who's ever parented hungover knows there is nothing worse and nothing harder. The anxiety rears its head. Talk about imposter syndrome. You know, I had it times 10 when I was trying to parent while also navigating now a drinking problem. And it was when I quit drinking, which was five and a half years ago, and started doing parenting sober that I realized where the real gift was. And when my anxiety went down and all the benefits of being sober uh, started to infuse themselves into my life, I started to realize that this mommy wine culture narrative is harmful. It's justification to drink at probably one of the worst times women should be drinking, which is early motherhood. And I started to become vocal about it. Like I fell for this and I don't want other people to fall for it too. But what I also started to realize is mommy wine culture is a symptom of a larger issue. The larger issue being mothers aren't supported the way we societally and structurally. We need better resources. We need better postpartum support. We need better healthcare and maternity leave. I mean, these are all these things that weigh us down and make messages like mommy needs wine so popular. Uh, so that's where I'm at now, you know, realizing that mommy wine culture is a harmful message, but also there are bigger factors at play that we need to be discussing too. I agree with you. And I felt all of that in my core. Gosh, those first several months, especially with postpartum depression, so many women are, I mean, there's just, it's a spectrum, you know, of, of even what we'll experience in those, in those first months, in those first years. You know, I have a two, two and a half year old and I'm like, am I, I'm almost finally coming up to the surface, you know, almost, almost, almost there. And yeah, it's just on an emotional level, physical level, you know, are we even doing anything right level? You know, and, and then the gaslighting that you received from your doctor, you know, just saying, you know, just tough it out, figure it out, you know, good luck. And I feel like I know so many women who are listening to this right now went to their doctors or have a friend that went to their doctors and heard the exact same thing. And I can't tell you, I, I mean, I, as a gift from a couple friends, I got alcohol testing strips because <laughs> everyone's like, you know, you're going to need the alcohol. So here's the alcohol testing strips, which I didn't use because I, 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 I didn't, I didn't end up drinking almost the first entire year because I was, it's, our, my son was primarily being breastfed. And so I was just so paranoid about, you know, what test strips or not. I was just a little concerned for, for his little fragile um, brain because, you know, there's so much going on in there. And so, but I, I can imagine there are so many women who you know, the message is so convoluted and lost and they're just looking for somewhere to land. And it can be so hard if they don't have partner support or support around them. And, and that's kind of ultimately what society is telling us is like, hey, yeah, it's going to be hard. And we have this little solution over here or a couple of little solutions um, because we're, we're not going to be able to support you any other way. Right. I mean, that is, that's the message we're sending is here is a, a whole bunch of alcohol because this is basically the only thing you'll have to moving forward. And it is, it's absolutely gaslighting women too, to, to give them this message that the problems they're facing aren't anything alcohol can't fix. When these problems are so much bigger and grander in scale, women don't need bottles of wine when they come home with a new baby. They need support. They need 
uh, somebody to help with the the home management. They need to have those big conversations with their partners about the mental load and about equitable distribution of labor on the home front. I mean, these are what mothers need in early motherhood. And we're sending them a very wrong message. I agree. And they need sleep. A lot of sleep. You know, I remember feeling so crazy, crazy, literally the first two weeks of motherhood and just crying just on and off. I just felt like I was just losing it. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I just praying that it was going to get better. And so again, I I could just feel like I just like it just warped back to that time of just trying to get get through it and feeling like I'm doing the right things. Um, and then the other the other thing that we're, we're advertising too for moms, and, and it's something I, it's coffee. You know, coffee during the day, wine at night, you know, to get you <laughs> And I'm not bagging on coffee at all. If you, if you can't tolerate it, it is what it is. But, but yeah, those being the, the drugs of choice for mothers is caffeine and then let's like, let's wind it down with alcohol. Yeah, the essential truths of motherhood. Let's talk a little bit about you know, I, I want to dive into, you know, how, how we can support mothers better, but I also would love to speak into the, how alcohol, besides the fact that yes, being hungover or not even necessarily even being hungover, like you can, you, you drink a couple glasses of wine and see how you feel the next day. Even, I mean, we could, again, hang, being hungover is a spectrum too. Like if, if it, if any of your capacity to function the next day is compromise, whether you're just like a little foggy or you're not firing on all cylinders, you just feel a little blah. To me, that's a full out hangover. Like you don't need to be almost throwing up. You don't need to have the crazy headache. You don't need to be not able to get out of the out of your bed the next day to function. I mean, honestly, if any, any, in any way that you have a lack of capacity because you had a couple glasses of wine the night before, to me, that's still a hang. That's it's still impacting your ability to to do life and to feel good the next day. It's definitely impact, impacting your health. And I don't know if you can share some stats or or information around how it is actually impacting our health. And obviously, I can chime in too. But I'm I'm, I'm interviewing you today, girl. But so you know, and how that is really impacting us, especially different parts of our cycle, especially when we're when women tend to be leaning on it the most, whether it's motherhood or it's later years as well, as we're kind of entering into our mid to late 30s and into our 40s, kind of in perimenopause. I'd love to hear just a little bit about you more so, you know, I, I get that white society is kind of giving us this little, this little drug tool, but how is it impacting our health overall? And, and not just how we're operating in the world and how Maybe it's having an impact in our ability to have good relationships or be a good good moms to our children or show up at work and be sharp, but on, a, on even on a physical level, um, how it's impacting our bodies. Yeah. I mean, when you think about alcohol, the, the ones that come right off the bat, you know, you get brain fog, you have the hangover with the headache. You did not, you do not sleep as well when you have drunk alcohol the night before. I... In my own experience, when I was 34, you know, pregnant with my first, I was already feeling the impacts of the the heart. I, I didn't when I was pregnant. I was in my mid-30s, you know, during this time of my life. So by the time I had my first child, I was already experiencing changes to the way alcohol affected me. Uh, and that comes with aging. My hangovers were worse needing less alcohol. And yet alcohol aggressive 
that you start to, if you drink it consistently, you need more of it to have the same effects. So it becomes this vicious cycle where you're drinking more to feel the way that you normally feel with less, but your hangovers are worse. And I learned not only that alcohol was making my anxiety worse over time, not better, uh, but it's also impacting if I'm on any sort of medication for my anxiety, for my addiction, impacting the effects of those medications, I realized I had put myself in such dangerous situation where, I mean, no wonder, no wonder I felt so awful each day. I was considering a depressant that was also implicating my medications for depression. <laughs> I was just no winning on the situation. And, um, the very other thing I want to say that we don't normally talk about, but I think it's probably one of those important parts is when you're under the influence of alcohol, you are less present. You're less present to be with your children. You are less present to see uh, any harms or challenges that might be around you. You are less present notice of something that might be going on with your child, uh, things that you would notice sober. And when you are a mom, especially a new mom, you are as close as it gets to constant taking lit litmus tests for how our baby doing. And when you can't be present for that, um, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And I knew that when I was drinking and it, I did, it didn't help me stop, but it made me feel very guilty. And so when you add mom guilt to the mix, Alcohol has been a lot of really negative things and the benefit felt like it just was becoming less and less and less as I got older. Yeah. So Lesney, what was that kind of defining moment for you? I know you said about five, it's been five and a half years now. Was it just the hangovers or you just kind of really did a gut check where were the hangovers getting worse or did you just feel worse or was there someone who kind of kind of pointed it out or you just, you just knew because I know that there are so many women listening to this who are, yeah, whether they're having mimosas with their girlfriends at brunch every week, or they're having a couple glasses of wine with dinner every night, or, you know, whatever that, whatever that looks like as, as they're listening as to this right now, I know that there are women right now that are very curious as to what does it look like to significantly decrease their alcohol consumption or to put it to the side for a while, whether it's like a three month break or a six month break, or maybe it's even a year break, like it is for me this year. So I, I'd love for you to speak into kind of what was that defining moment for you in that mo in that time, and then you know how can we start to what what is some analysis that we should be looking at to kind of gear us up to break up or significantly lessen the amount of alcohol that we're consuming. Yeah, when I think about the months leading up to the day that I quit drinking, there have been a lot of convincing moments. And now, you know, when I'm talking to people about this, I say to look for those convincing moments and write them down. Um, just acknowledge them, even if you're not ready to quit just yet. For me, I think back um, where I was starting to do things that I had always told myself I would never do, like... I was topping my drinks off when no one was looking. I started to hide bottles in the recycling bin or, you know, I bury them in the recycling bin because I just didn't want my husband to take notice of the fact that I managed to empty out another bottle of wine when he wasn't looking or um, just over the course of 
what normally would have taken me a lot longer to finish. Those were convincing moments in and of themselves, but I justified them, you know, as we do, because, you know, I would say motherhood is hard and I've got nothing else to do and I'm bored. And, you know, all these things that helped me justify what I was doing. But looking back, I know that those were moments in the back of my head where I said, I'm doing things I swore I would never do. Uh, One of the biggest convincing moments I had it still wasn't the thing that made me quit drinking, but it was a visit to our pediatrician because our three-year-old was having some behavioral struggles and we were talking to him and he said, you know, at this age, at age three, based on what you're telling me, there's really nothing we can do right now. We're just going to take a wait and see approach. And of course, as a mom, I'm like, no, 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 that's not good enough. I need action items. I need something I can take with me outside of this uh, doctor's office. And he said, okay, well, children like this need structure, routine, and consistency to thrive. So you need to be giving them that. And I had such a punch in my gut when he said that, because I knew with my drinking, I was not giving him any of those three. I did not stop drinking that day, but it was such a moment where I kind of had that realization that my alcohol use is not without its implications. It might even be harming uh, my children and um, their experiences. And it might even be at some of the root of these bigger issues we were seeing with his behavior. So that was a huge convincing moment for me. Ultimately, I quit drinking when I had a panic attack at work just one random Monday and it just, it scared the, you know what, of me because I thought it could be anything. And fortunately it was just a panic attack, but I do think it was my body giving me probably, hopefully my final convincing moment to say, what more do you need? (laughs) What more evidence do you need that this is going down the wrong path? And I, I quit drinking that day and um, I decided because I, I didn't know exactly what this was going to look like. I didn't know if I was taking a break or if this was forever, but I decided I was just going to figure it out as I went. And so I, I just kind of buckled up that day and I just decided I'm going to learn as I went. And I did. I started educating myself. Um, I started reading literature about recovery and sobriety, and I literally took it one day at a time. So for people who know or or feel those convincing moments, um, I would say to get curious about it. Uh, being over curious is a big thing right now, and that's exciting because it's worth exploring. We are worth exploring. Our health is worth exploring. And I would encourage someone to take 30 days off. 30 days is a great number of days to start to a physical and mental reset and kind of collect data. What are you seeing after that 30 days? Are you seeing your health improve? Are you seeing your energy improve? Are you seeing less mood swings? This is all important data to be collecting that you can then gather up and take with you into what you want to do next. Yeah, I just thank you so much for sharing all of that because I think that that is so, so helpful. And I was thinking about my own kind of those moments of, you know, just kind of paying attention. And I just, if you're okay, I would love to share that in the last last year in 2022, 
I drank maybe seven times that year, I think, give or take, like for special occasions. And every time I did it, I just felt terrible the next day. Like my body was over it. My body was like, we are done. Like we're not doing this anymore. And it would be like, I would go out with no intention of drinking, but all my best, like it was a really special, like it was New Year's Eve or it was like a big birthday party or something like that. And I would like, I would just literally have a glass of champagne. It felt very innocuous, like felt innocuous. But the next day I didn't feel so, it didn't feel so innocuous anymore. You know, it just, I just felt like it hit me. And, and at the time I was wearing continuous glucose monitors and I was wearing my whoop strap and I could tell my sleep was just like, I would get a 50% sleep score that night. And my fasting blood glucose would be in the high eighties, like never, it's never in the high eighties. And I just, I would just see this on in, in real data in real time. And I would say to myself, I'm like, you know what? I'm pretty sure this isn't serving me. I'm good. And then two months later would go around and there would be a big enough reason to have another drink, you know, like again, a big celebration, you know, everyone's cheersing for a big, a 50th birthday party, whatever that may have been. And again, I have maybe the glass of red wine. And then the next day, the same thing, the same evidence in my face. And I was like, you know, and, and I realized for myself was that until I just said, it is, I am done cold Turkey. Cause I was going many, many months, sometimes three or four months without having a drink. And then maybe it would happen like twice in a month or something like that. And so, but I had not told myself that it was done. I kept just saying, you know, I'm probably going to say no the next time. You know, I hadn't like put it like on paper, like I'd made a commitment to myself, like this is done, I'm done doing this. And so I remember coming into 2023 and we were in Hawaii. It was the very first week and I had a Mai Tai and again, just, I mean, as a Mai Tai, for goodness sakes, like, like the, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't even like a, a, like a dry red wine. And I woke up the next day and I just, I was still was, and that's just it. Like, I'm like, how much harder do I need to really show up to make up for the fact that I don't feel great? Now, are we just going to the beach today? Cause we're in Hawaii. Are we just, you know, are we, I'm not really having to do a lot of like mega parent, you know, it's, it was an easy, you know, it's easy, but still, I just knew that I was having to majorly pretend that I wasn't struggling that day for my son. And I just was, and that was that defining moment for me too. It's like, I don't ever want him to get, whether he knows or not, you know, whether there's an energy around me, I don't know that I'm having to really make up for the struggling that I'm having to be the most present, most wonderful mom to him in this moment. And that was it. It was like, I don't know, the 5th of January, whatever it may have been. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done for the rest of the year. That's it. Like this was my defining moment where I was like, I just have to say cold turkey. I'm committed. I'm not doing this anymore because there's going to be so many opportunities where friends are going to be like, but tonight's the night, you know, come on, you never drink. You know, that's always the language. Like Marisa, you never drink. Come on, tonight's the night. And and I'm just going to be like, no, I just, I made a commitment and it feels so good to just own it and just be like, no, I'm cool. And obviously no one's giving me any business about it. And I haven't had anyone trying to really convince me otherwise. I'm so grateful to have a lot of friends who don't, who don't drink or drink very, very rarely. But I was really grateful to myself for committing, finally saying enough is enough. Like it's time to put this to the wayside and a commitment is necessary for me to do it. And then two, to have gotten so much great support from my, from friends and family. No one's like, no one's giving me like kind of bullied me or messed with me because I've done it. They've really just been like, we love that decision for you. And so I know that that's not always the case as well either. And we can kind of talk a little bit about that because I am just so grateful to have a network that no one is pressuring me into drinking when I say no is no, you know? Something else that you mentioned that I think is so important when I think about motherhood, 
energy is a currency and we have to decide where we're going to spend our energy and alcohol takes up a lot of energy. So I think about waking up in the morning after, you know, with a hangover and just having nothing, I had nothing left to give, but I had a baby who needed everything from me and it was just unsustainable. It wasn't going to work. I could not do both. I could not drink the way I wanted to drink and parent the way I wanted to parent. And that for me, ultimately it came down to a choice, but I, I think similar to your experience, it can just come down to where, what is more important to expend my energy on. And alcohol is such a easy way to expend energy that offers very little back. Uh, and that's hard. Uh, that's hard as a mom. It's hard as a person, but it's also, it's hard as a human in a world that idolizes boots. We live in a society where alcohol is the cheapest, most easily and readily available drug for adults. It's everywhere. It's often centralized in most gatherings, even gatherings for children. And it's so easy to access it. I mean, and when you are trying avoid it, it is extremely hard because unless you're going to live at home and never leave, it's everywhere. It's very hard to avoid. And for people who are trying to take 30 days off or in early recovery, that's often the biggest challenge is that social pressure, especially around friends who you've been with for a long time who already are big drinkers and you were drinking buddies together. It can be uh, just that social pressure can be very challenging for some people. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that because I have some tricks up my sleeve. I know you do too because I still have friends that are very, very, some of my oldest friends are heavy drinkers. And again, love and respect my decision, but alcohol is flowing everywhere we go. You know, I, morning, lunch, and dinner, it is going down even in my house, even in my, my husband still drinks. And so- I would love to talk about getting um, sober curious or taking 30 days off, but maybe life doesn't shift. You're still hanging out with people. Maybe you're still out with the friends who you, you had drank with for decades. You still have the wine, the mom group that are drinking wine, you know, on a Friday night away from partners and kids. So that's all happening. And so I would love to hear a little bit about not only how you navigated that at, at the time where you decided this is it, I'm shutting this down and then taking it one step at a time, but then also how you've helped other women navigate that as well. Because again, for me, I kept thinking I could, and I obviously couldn't until I said no more. Like I just knew that I had to draw a line in the sand for myself. And so that was kind of how I knew how. And then that then I have my tricks up my sleeve too, where I still go out. Even my husband, when we go out to dinner, he's drinking for dinner, you know? And, and so there's things that I do to set myself up for success in those moments. Yeah. And to be fair, this is probably the most common concern I hear from people who reach out to me and from our sober uh, women support groups uh, is either they have friends who are big drinkers or a partner who's a big drinker and are either just thinking, oh, this is too far. You don't need to quit. Or they don't want them to quit. They don't want to lose their drinking buddy in the mix. Um, so it's a pretty common concern for myself. You know, I, 
I am somebody who did everything the way I see it. I did everything probably the way I shouldn't have done it. So now I know what not to do. And with my husband, you know, I told him that I that first day after the panic attack that I was going to quit drinking. And then I just left it at that. I didn't tell him anything else. I didn't I didn't tell him about the reports. I didn't tell him about the hiding bottles. I kept all of it a secret and I tried to uh, keep problem as uh, minimal sounding as possible. Like this is just the lesson she wants to take a break. That's as far as he knew that was all there was to it. When the truth is, it was a lot more complicated than that. And I genuinely could have used some more support. So our life went on just as usual. He still kept alcohol. He still drank around me because I never told him otherwise. I never told him what I was comfortable with and what I wasn't comfortable with. And looking back, I think that is something that I would absolutely have done differently. Um, you can't force somebody else to change actions, but you can set boundaries around what you will and won't do if something happens. I've heard from other people that they have found it useful to say, to their partner or their loved ones, I prefer alcohol to not be in the house for these 30 days or beer wine is okay to have in the house. Please don't leave liquor, whatever the person's personal cravings or challenges are, or if you're going to have alcohol, please keep it to the garage. So those are certain things you can have and communicate with your loved ones, but also setting boundaries that if you are drinking I will not do an argument with you. I will leave room. Or if you're drinking, I don't want to be present. So I will leave. Like, what are you going to, something happens that makes you uncomfortable to show that, or to just to take care of yourself. If those 30 days, whatnot, you don't want to be going to parties that are fueled by alcohol or with all your drinking buddies, that is a fair and valid thing to do. It's not forever. You're not telling people you will never go with these things again. It's just a temporary thing you're doing to take care of your. Uh, so I mean, these are you know the things I think about, and you know one of the biggest concerns I hear is, well, my husband's not or my spouse isn't supportive of my quitting, and that's a fun, right? Because you know in your heart is thing you need to do or you want to do, but you don't have that support or validation for your partner and. To be honest, my husband wasn't all that supportive of my decision to quit. I as he didn't realize the extent of the problem. But what I like to say now, uh, what I think now is regardless of whether he knew the full story or not in the beginning, I knew that I needed to quit. And our relationship is so much stronger with me as a mom than it would be today if I was still a high-functioning person with alcohol use disorder. Like, I can't even imagine where our relationship would be now if I had continued drinking. Whereas now, if our biggest problem is my partner lost his drinking buddy, I think we are in a pretty good place. I agree. I agree with you so much there. And I, I appreciate your just kind of how you would have navigated it differently and how we can navigate it is really, and that, I, I lead people through detoxes where alcohol is off the table too, <laughs> obviously, and a lot of other things. It's an elimination pro protocol. And it's always part of that prep week is having a conversation with your family 
about relegating certain foods to maybe certain cabinets, you know, moving alcohol into the garage, you know, just having boundaries and and sitting down with them in a very vulnerable place and saying, hey, I need to make this change for myself. I know that it's right for you guys, for me, for my health, for my well-being, and I'm, I'm just begging for support here. Like, this is what it's going to look like for the next 14, 15 days or 30 days, whatever that may be, so that you get buy-in from everyone around you, you know, so that it makes it so much, you know, whether, you know, taking alcohol off the table or, you know, and, you know, in, in these instances, taking it all off the table. We're talking about processed sugar, alcohol, corn, you know, all kinds of sausage and bacon gone, you know, it's like all of a sudden it's all off the table. And, um, and if without buy-in, it, it's really hard to navigate any of that. Um, and so I definitely, when I, when I had a conversation with my husband about it, same thing, I was just like, Hey, here's my parameters. Here's my boundaries. This is, this is the deal, you know, moving forward. And I'm going to need, I'm going to, I'm going to need help in this, pro, in this process, at least in the, you know, first month. Cause I didn't know what it was going to be like, you know, I knew that I had felt like I had failed myself the last year. And not that I, again, you just, I was just like, man, how do I, how do I say yes to that again? I told myself no last time. And so really just finding myself, finding myself like Alex not offering me a drink at dinner, that kind of thing where it's, it's accidental, but I'm like, just don't offer me, like, don't give me a drink. Don't offer me a drink. Don't bring it up. Like that's not going to make this journey easier for me. I love that. I love that you had that conversation. I think it is an important conversation to have, not just with your partner, but with your friends and family too, because they don't know what they don't know. I told this story once about, uh, I was at a play date and the mother popped open a bottle of champagne and was making mimosas for me and the other mom that was at the play date. And I was so afraid to tell her that I don't drink. I was new in my sobriety. I didn't know what to tell her because I didn't know to say, this is just a break. Or I was afraid she'd ask questions and I just didn't have answers yet. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, So she offered it to me and I said, oh, not now. Thank you. I'm good. But then she kept offering it to me probably every 15 minutes um, until eventually. Just in case you changed your mind, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe she's thirsty now. Like I gave her zero. Uh, You didn't give her anything to know why. Yeah. She didn't know. And for me to just kind of glaze over it and not give her a firm answer either way, I kind of left her hanging. And um, looking back now, you know, I laugh at myself because no is such a stupidly simple answer. But for me at the time, it felt scary to say no. What were they going to think? Would they not want to be friends with a, a mom who doesn't drink? Like maybe I would lose invites to future Days like I have so many insecurities around what this life could or would look like if I was defined as the sober person. And so I put myself kind of in this gray area realm where nobody knew what I ever wanted. And that made my sobriety harder and it made our social experiences harder because I did not give anybody any sort of sense of boundaries or expectations. Um, and I regret that. Mm, I feel you there. I, I, I feel you. I, I feel like I've, I'm pretty clear, but I feel, I know I, I, when I was first kind of toying with it, um, it was a very kind of funky it, kind of adventure. Like what are my friends going to think? And then also the other thing that was playing in my mind, cause I was a bartender. 
I mean, I was, I was the best bartender if I was five shots of tequila deep. Like I made the most money at the bar. I could clear $500 to $1,000 in tips in a night. Like if I was on my game. And so I spent a big chunk of my 20s into my early 30s getting myself through med school and through college on as a bartender. And I was a, I was a great, fun bartender. And, um, and so alcohol is a big part of my life for a long time. And, and so there was a lot of people who knew me as that kind of phase in my life. And in the beginning, I thought, especially because I might, I mean, I saw, I saw more money coming in when I was five shots deep. And um, so I could see people were like, oh my gosh, look at this bartender. She's fun. And she's da, 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 she's doing all the fun things. And, and so a lot of it, I, I had a kind of an identity way back in the day tied to like, I was this really fun person. Like I had this, like, like my Sasha fierce, you know, uh, you know, identity, you know, like my, you know, a different version of myself <laughs> when I was drinking, like I was more fun. I was more um, vibrant. And, and I remember when I was first toying with this years ago, you know, having nights where I wasn't going to drink, I, I wondered if I was even going to be fun enough. Like is sober is sober Marisa even a good time because unsober or, or, or I wouldn't call it honest one should have been drunk with five five shots of tequila but I had I had been doing that a long time so um, you know enough like you know tipsy Marisa like you know tequila fueled Marisa was a lot more fun a lot more like energizing and and just I I thought I was sharp it's so it's so, it's so hilarious like thinking about it now. <laughs> But I remember in those first couple of years when I was really moving away from all of that, there was this, the the issue that was coming up for me was, am I willing to break up with this and lose who I think I am? Oh, yeah. I think that's a huge uh, thing a lot of people worry about because for most of us, you know, we've been being on and off for most of our, our adult lives. So who is this person? He doesn't have alcohol at social gatherings. I personally, I had, unless I was pregnant, I've never been to a social gathering over the age of 18 where I didn't have alcohol um, in some way, shape or size. And it there is a bit of an identity crisis, especially in early sobriety. Like, Does this mean my fun's over? Does this mean my life as I know it as going to parties and doing all these things? Is that done now? Because I think socially and societally, we we often construe sobriety as to feel like deprivation. When I think of sober characters in TV or film, they are the psalm ones in the background who are going to basement meetings with weak coffee. They're certainly not the life of the party. That's how they're portrayed. And it's easy. Yeah. They're not dynamic. Yeah. And they're certainly not the ones that you're rooting for. Yeah. They're not the popular ones. You know, they're not the ones having the best time. They're not the ones getting the best dates, you know? And they're, yeah, they're not main character energy by any means. So it's easy to question that and to wonder what is this going to look like? What will social gatherings look like now? And for me, early on in my sobriety, I really sat with that, that life would now look like deprivation. And what I realized is if something isn't fun without alcohol, it's probably just not very fun. And to find that freedom for me to say, I don't always have to put myself in these heavy drinking situations if they're not going to be fun in and of themselves. It sounds so simple. And yet 
how many things do we put pressure on ourselves to be doing that are not enjoyable to begin with? So we coax ourselves to even get out of the house by adding alcohol to the mix. So just giving yourself permission to see what new definitions of can and will look like, because you will find it, I promise you, it's just going to look different. Oh, absolutely. Well, I realized I was more fun. Ha! Look at that. You know what I was, I, I wasn't, you know, when I finally was like, well, let's just see if this kind of idea, this fear that I have around not being this person, this identity is actually true, right? Because it was just a conflicting of, you know, I just, I had a conflict is both ultimately what it was. And, and I was like, well, let's just, let's just find out and, and come to find out I was, I was actually my worst self with alcohol than I, than I, you know, than I even imagined. And so, you know, I think if, if I'm so grateful that we're tackling some of these fears and some of these concerns head on, because we can easily talk ourselves out of this. And I know that you and I have both been there, you know, where we talked ourselves out of it and talked ourselves out of it. And then when we were in it and, you know, and then the fears were bubbling up of like, am I going to be accepted? Is this going to be okay? You know, are my friends going to still love me and appreciate me? And honestly, if your friends, your drinking friends, if they don't love you or they don't appreciate you after you give up alcohol, those are not the kind of friends I ever want in my life. No, they're not people who are going to meet me in my growth you know, who are going to accept me in, in kind of in my new identity. And so there's something to be looked at as well as like, if you're required to drink, to go and do this activity or go and do this thing, is any of that even worthwhile? Like if that's how you have to show up, that we have to really reframe that. And this is this who I want to be. Is this how I want to show up? Is this who my future vision self is, is operating in the world? And to me, uh, the answer is emphatically, absolutely no. Yeah, I always say um, sobriety was the best friendship filter I ever found because my true friends genuinely didn't care. And the ones who did care weren't my true friends. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I did lose a few friendships when I quit drinking, but I don't miss that. I And I didn't know, it was probably the people I least suspected to, uh, also, but I was surprised by the number of people who genuinely didn't care or were proud of me or excited for me. Uh, so it, it was actually a very positive experience all around. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, there are a few people that got lost or that got left behind and that's okay too. I don't, I don't need uh, forced friendships that were genuinely uh, based and revolved around alcohol. I love that. Well, the other thing I want to talk about as well is what what we do. You know, a lot of restaurants um, don't have mocktails. And if they do have mocktails, they're extremely sugary. They're probably going to spike your sugar. And I also am very, you know, not only is alcohol damaging your liver, but guess what sugar is too? I'm sorry. I'm just going to be the bearer of bad news today. And so I find that we don't really have a lot of great options and selections when it comes to going out. And I mean, a, 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 a non-alcoholic daiquiri I promise you, is you're going to have a diabetic-driven blood sugar spike. And I don't know if we're all very interested in that as well, because, you know, a, a sugar high and a sugar hangover, nowhere near as bad as an alcohol hangover, but it's not something I'm interested in. You know, it's, I know that with, with a family of diabetes, it's, so what I, so ultimately what I do is one, we, I have, um, I make passion iced tea in my home. It's a, let's Starbucks iced tea. It's decaffeinated. It's purple or pink or whatever my little my little man calls it pink is like this little pink tea and so i bring my stanley 
And I usually do half Pellegrino and half of that iced tea. I put lime in it. I literally go everywhere with this. If it's brunch or lunch or a set, even a fancy dinner, like no one has ever not let me bring in my water bottle, but it's got my own mocktail in it that is sugar-free. It's got all kinds of wonderful herbs. It's blood sugar balancing. It's got a big spritz of lime in it. So it's, it's effervescent and it feels really yummy and it's 30 ounces. It's going to get me through the entire dinner. You know what I'm saying? And so those are the, I, you know, when I started navigating life, even when, you know, again, my husband drinking, you know, at dinners or I'd go to parties and maybe not everyone would have sparkling water or, and sometimes, you know, and I love water, but sometimes water it's not always sexy, you know, and you want something else. And so my recommendation, how I've, how I've navigated these past many years, but especially this year, is I just pre-make my mocktail, my sugar-free, super healthy, really yummy that I love mocktail. And I just take that sucker everywhere I go. And that has made life so much better because I don't want Lipton's black tea, you know, at, at every, gets all the iced tea that they've got. There's some like nasty Lipton's. I, I'm like, I am not interested in your nasty iced tea. And so those are the kind of things that I, I look out for when anytime I leave the house is really being prepared to enjoy the drinks that I'm going to have because it's the drink that I made. And to not feel deprived. Yeah. And to not feel deprived at dinner or at lunch or wherever I'm at. So I don't know if you had any other recommendations as well, but that that mattered to me when I found myself having so few options. That's so important. It, I, I definitely learned to bring my own drink everywhere I go. Do not expect there to be a mocktail option, especially at people's house parties and whatnot. And if there is, you will be consider yourself pleasantly surprised, but come prepared. I would say that is a great philosophy. As someone who's five and a half years sober, I would tell you the changes we have seen uh, in just the past couple of years with people offering non-alcoholic alternatives and mocktail options is so exciting. The non-alcoholic beverage industry is skyrocketing. Um, I'm seeing more mocktail menus than I've ever seen before. And it's a really good time to be sober curious or sober because we have so many more options than we ever did. But I, I think your philosophy is spot on too. Never, unless you've already looked at the menu, unless you've already been there and you know what you're expecting, never go in somewhere assuming that they're going to have non-alcoholic options and prepare yourself for it being a water or seven up night if you didn't bring something. So um, I think that's a great way to look at it, but I am excited uh, to see where this market is headed and how people are being much more receptive to it. Yeah. We obviously, our house always has really yummy blood sugar friendly mocktails that I really specialize in. But one of the companies that I really love right now is Ken Euphorics. I'm not sure if you, yeah. And so they, they have, I think it's Bloom then I will, and again, I, I I do just a little bit. So it's about one gram of sugar. I do sparkling water. I put berries. I put grapefruit. And I'll do like a sprig of mint on top as well. And so I'll make these beautiful, like almost like mixology mocktails for friends. So I always offer these anytime. So we have, we will always have Ken Euphorics or some kind of option in the house that I can like turn into something fun. 
Again, I was a bartender for many, many years. So I've got some skill sets there, but I can leverage them in this other direction, which is really great. So it, 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 I guess it ultimately ended up benefiting me now too. But that's what I do. Anytime we have a party, I always have mocktail options. I always have many, many non-alcoholic options. If anything, way more then we'll have a couple bottles of, you know, wine or whatever. I mean, we still have people who come over and drink. So, but those are just to know that there are so many beverages out there right now that can be made into really beautiful blood sugar friendly, you know, and super, super like adaptogenic supportive that really meet the, the wine down um, need that offer adaptogens like ashwagandha and rhodiola that, you know, actually can help modulate the stress response system because Alcohol does not do that. Alcohol does not modulate the stress response system. Alcohol does not calm the amygdala down. Alcohol does not uh, affect the brain in a positive way. The alcohol does none of those things. It's doing you no favors there. I just want to make that really clear. And that's why we see an uptick in massive anxiety levels when you're drinking alcohol. Um, and that is your amygdala, your amygdala on fire. So I just want to make that super clear that alcohol is not an adaptogenic herb. (laughs) It's not modulating the stress response system. It is driving stress in the system. It's driving, you know, you're talking about a brain on fire. Um, And you're talking about a liver on fire too. And so I just wanted to speak into that as well, that I know that we're being marketed, that it's this thing that winds us down and relaxes us and calms our nerves. It's not doing any of that. You know, and so it is actually doing the opposite. It's just hidden behind the intoxication piece. I'm so glad you said that. That is such an important thing to understand because I think so many of us are still clinging for dear life onto this concept that uh, alcohol in moderation is healthy and has benefits, even as more and more studies are coming out and showing us just the opposite. So the more... um, science you can learn about what alcohol is really doing not only will it make you more of a believer in being sober curious or quitting alcohol but um it's also for me in my own sobriety it has been a big motivator because i'm understanding the effects of alcohol scientifically and it's not just based on how i feel or what i think it's genuinely what the science is behind it and it can really add fuel to the fire of motivation for staying sober Mm, thank you thank you so much okay the last question i really wanted to ask because i know again a lot of this is being marketed to moms motherhood is no joke you and i both know that we aren't even in the threes. We're at two and a half right now. And so, and really holding the container for my my sweet little man navigating this, whew, this world and all the emotions that come with it. But we, moms are holding more than ever before. And you could say that maybe we have it all or that we're taking it all on, however you want it. And it, it's stressful. It is hard. It is gut-wrenching. It is heartbreaking. And it is beautiful at the same time. And it is exhausting. And so I, I want to speak into what are some of the ways, you know, as you have these, this beautiful group, this beautiful, you know, container of women that you support, how can we support moms better? How can we help show up for them? What, what other ways can we sub out this, this, this wine down for other things? What are some of the things that your moms are finding are a great substitute besides mocktails? <laughs> so... This is going to sound a little confusing at first, so sit with me. It's going to be 
one of the biggest things that's going to help mothers is community. And that I, I know somebody's going to hear that and go, well, that sucks because that's exactly what I lost in early motherhood. Who who can form a community when you're trying to keep a baby alive? I can't even get out of the house. Or even mid-motherhood or late motherhood. Like, yeah, I so many moms I know are so lonely. And even with community, they feel lonely too. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a loneliness for sure. Well, and it's hard, especially when you have a community. Like if you're counting on the PTA to be your community, you're not going to be at the same honesty level as if you are with a group of women who you can be genuinely honest and uh, have the deeper conversations with and go there in the conversation. And I, I say that because I am somebody who has done both. I've done parenting without the community as, as somebody navigating sobriety, and I've done it with the community. And I will always say, always, that community trumps doing this alone any given day. The key is... Because community, you don't just, you know, checkbox that you want to add community to, you know, your Amazon Prime list. I wish it was that easy. Oh my gosh, wouldn't that be so great? I will take community for five, Bob. Exactly. I'll take community for a thousand. You know, it's it's priceless. You can't even put a price on women supporting women. When the pandemic first hit and we knew community going to go right out the window. My friend Emily Paulson formed the Sober Mom Squad, which is a sober mom community that was formed out of the pandemic and out of the fact that we just, everybody just lost their communities overnight. And so when I community now, I think of something like that, a group of women who have come together around something they believe in. For us, it's sobriety, but through what happened in the pandemic, is a lot of things went virtual and a lot of um, opportunities started to go out over Zoom or you can find them through Facebook, but uh, these online support communities. And I'm not talking about like local moms groups on Facebook. I'm talking about things that are either based around uh, group therapy or around women supporting women in recovery or around women supporting women with neurodivergent children, there are these communities available and they can empower us. There, I was just in a group uh, through Good Inside uh, by Dr. Beck Kennedy. I love that book so much. But she has a motherhood community that you can join. And I was in a group for mothers of children who are neurodivergent. I mean, these communities are now available to us. And they're easily accessible. Sometimes you don't even have to leave the house because they're all over Zoom. I highly recommend it for any women, whether you're sober or not. If you're looking for just an op- just somebody that you can talk to and, and be with and connect at a deeper level than you ever will in the school pickup line. That's so powerful. And, I, and I'm grateful that you mentioned, like, based on whatever it is that you would love real support in, whether it's emotional well-being, whether it's self-care and self-love, whether you are mega crunchy like me, like, mm, like crazy crunchy over here. And you're like, okay, where are my crazy crunchy ladies? Yeah. I mean, even perimenopause or menopause, I mean, even through seasons of life, parents of uh, 
high school children. I mean, there are groups that we can connect through um, where you can feel seen and heard and validated in a way uh, you might not otherwise feel. I just love that reminder so much. I mean, I'm feeling called to it. Like I have a little mini community, but I would love, I would love more community. I do sometimes feel like I'm on my own in this journey. Motherhood can feel so isolating. It can feel really lonely. And we live in a time where we have these impossible parenting standards and we see it on social media and we live in a hustle culture where mothers are expected to do everything and do it well and rock it and make it look effortless. And when we're struggling, we feel like we're the only people struggling because look at Sally's social media. She's she's killing it. Like, why can't I be like that? When the truth is, you know, Sally either has a rock solid community having her back or she's secretly struggling too, because motherhood's really hard. Yeah, I agree. I think we're all secretly struggling in her own way, whatever that may look like. I agree with that. Well, I know you've got a beautiful group. Can we talk a little bit about your group really quickly? The, the sober mom squad and your book. Can we <laughs> just because yeah, what's that next step, right? What is that next step? I know someone's listening to this right now and they're thinking, okay, all right, what is the next step, Celeste? <laughs> so as, as I mentioned, Super Mom Squad was through the pandemic, but it's still going strong and even stronger than before. Uh, we now have three to six meetings per day uh, to meet mothers where they're at. And I still lead a weekly free meeting for anybody who is um, a mother who is either sober or sober curious um, every Wednesday. And I've been doing that for since the start of the pandemic. And it's just, we still have women in that group and at Sober Mom Squad who have been with us from the beginning. And we have new people coming in every day who are realizing alcohol doesn't serve them and they want to try something different. Um, so I would encourage anybody who, especially, I mean, anybody, but if you are listening to this going, but I've never been in a sober group, I don't even know if I have a drinking problem. I'm talking to you too. Like I've been there. I think there's no other better way to understand your relationship with alcohol than to talk to other people who have been there. And I think that's the power of community. Uh, so I would say to absolutely start there. And my book comes out September 12th. It's not about the wine, the loaded truth behind mommy wine culture. It talks a lot about my own story, how I did crutch in early and the liberation that I've found since I've stopped. And my goal is through this book is to create a sober movement where people can feel proud or get curious about sobriety where mothers can realize there's a better way, where gray area drinkers can get curious and seek to see what life can or might look like if they put alcohol down, and to show mothers better ways to cope with some of the biggest stressors we face. Hmm. I'm so happy to have us just have this conversation with you and open the door for more conversation. And I just love that you have a group. Like you said, you know, the reason why I wanted to share my story today was I wanted to even kind of my journey in those these last couple of years of how but it was still a struggle. Like I was still not saying no, you know, even when I wanted to until I, I made this decision. And I think a lot of us find ourselves in that gray area of like, well, I don't drink that much, or maybe I rarely drink, but then every time I do, I feel like crap. 
and, and I keep committing to myself and then breaking that commitment when I, when I, when I was loosey-goosey about it. And so that curiosity of just hearing other women's stories and hearing how other women do it and hearing that just, again, it, like you said, I think that the beautiful word here is curiosity. If it's been on your mind, if you've been thinking about it, if it's not, if you're wondering if it isn't serving you, if you're wondering what it looks like to navigate those waters, that's the curiosity that you deserve to explore, whether it's through this book or it's through the squad or another or another group that you're able to connect in with. I mean, there's so, there are more and more resources coming up every single day that can help us navigate this. I mean, it's such a great time to be sober curious because we are at a time culturally where people are opening up and we're learning more about what, not only what alcohol does, but what sobriety and the opportunity that comes with it. And I think um, socially, uh, we're, we've never been more accepting of people not drinking than we are today. So this is a great time to be sober curious. Mm-hmm. Celeste, honey, thank you so much for sharing your heart and sharing your wisdom and sharing your experience. And thank you so much for writing this beautiful book that um, I believe by the time this comes out, it will be out. So I will have a link to Amazon. I will link to the website. I'll link everywhere the book is. And again, if you're if anything about this, this interview today with Celeste, just you kind of just felt it resonate, or you you have more questions, or you just want to know more, we have opened the door for that today. I love it. Thank you so much, Celeste. Thank you, Mary. This was wonderful. It's so great to meet you. I cannot tell you how grateful I am to have women like Celeste taking a stand for women and moms. As she shared, there is a bigger problem for moms out there, and it's not having enough support, right? It's not having enough people to help, and I feel that in my core. If you've been feeling run down, numb, stressed, and you just know something is off, I encourage you to consider giving up alcohol for at least 14 days, ideally up to 30 days, to just see how your body feels, to see how your body shifts without alcohol in the system. And if you want support, I highly recommend Celeste's newest book, It's Not About the Wine, which will be in the show notes. I will also have information about her Sober Mom Squad. So if you are sober curious and you want to learn more, that is a great place to start. Now, if you are thinking about pausing on alcohol for a moment, here are a couple of recommendations that I have about alcohol cravings outside of just giving it up cold turkey for two plus weeks. Always have sparkling water on hand with lime or lemon or have something that you can sip on. I'll tell you what, there are some really fun drinks out there that have adaptogens that are sugar-free like Recess and one of my absolute favorites is Kin Euphorics. I love keeping peppermint oil on hand if cravings hit, especially if you're out with friends. Peppermint will stave off sugar and alcohol cravings. And then one of the biggest things I recommend is just don't keep alcohol in the house. That way it is not tempting, right? When it's in your house, whether it's alcohol or brownies or ice cream, right? It's so hard to say no because willpower will only get you so far. And then I also recommend having an accountability to support you. Just letting your friends and family know that like kind of how Celeste really talked about inside of the episode is getting more support. If you are deciding to give up alcohol for two weeks or four weeks or whatever that may look like, get buy-in from your family. Tell them why you're deciding to do this. You know, just really let them in on some of those, that vulnerable decision. I remember talking to all of my family 
obviously my husband and friends, that I was doing a full year hiatus and then I was going to re-review at the end of that full year. And I just really wanted to let people know that I just needed to make this decision because it was one of the best decisions I could possibly make for my health at the time. And so when I let people know that that was the deal, I got so much support and it felt like I could really fully commit for the entire year. So I hope that these tips are helpful. If you do choose to give yourself a break, And I know that your gut and liver and metabolism and hormones will be grateful too. Again, if you are looking to just learn more about this, I recommend Celeste's new book. It'll be in the show notes along with her Sober Mom Squad. And if this episode shed light on anything, kind of moved you forward in a direction that feels good and aligned with you, feel free to take a moment and subscribe to the show. Again, the new show brand. The rebrand is Energize with Dr. Marisa. And even take a moment to rate the show. That way, women who are looking for this type of information are looking to become the CEO of their health, have a place to land, have a place to get supported. That way, more women are really stepping into their power and becoming the CEO of their health. Until the next episode, have an amazing day. 